Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim. Today's episode 244. We're going to be interviewing Greg. What's going on, Greg? How are we doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks. So uh, let's get started here. Uh, ask everybody the same question. Let's get uh, into how your childhood was. Tell me about growing up. Uh, well, I moved around a lot. My uh, parents split up when I was about five or six. Um, I have a sister, half sister, you know, my mom, uh, that's about nine years younger than me, lived all over the country, but, uh, found myself in Utah, Salt Lake city in high school. Why would, why did you and the family move so much? Uh, I think my mom was always searching for something new in her life or, you know, running at times and, uh, you know, yeah, looking for a change. Do you know what kind of stuff she's running from? Um, you know, she had a lot of, I don't know, difficult relationships. Like the father of my sister was a challenge. So at one point we lived in Utah when I was in elementary school and we moved to Virginia and Seattle and back, you know, we moved to Seattle, moved to Utah, moved to Virginia and then came back. Um, so she just was unsure of what it is she wanted in life, I think. Um, but you know, she worked hard. She was gone a lot, so I was home alone a lot. And then the, my sister was much younger, so I kind of felt like an only child, even though I did have uh, a younger sister there. How'd you do in school growing up? Uh, pretty good up until about high school. Uh, in high school, I started smoking pot and everything went out the window. You know, I was I was decent in school, enjoyed it. But once I started smoking pot, it, uh, it all took a backseat. You know, I used to play sports and just be involved in a lot of different things. And once I got to that point, uh, I stopped caring about those things. Who'd you smoke pot with for the first time? No, I was a neighbor. I lived in Virginia and we used to steal cigarette butts from his mom and smoke it in a pipe. And then we had a friend or he had a friend that had moved away and come back and he brought some. Um, so, you know, we stayed up late and, snuck out and smoked pot and man i just fell in love with it immediately why was that <laughs> i guess i just like the way it feels you know um i don't think i was trying to escape from anything at least at the time um i guess you know being the new kid a lot i was always um looking for ways to fit in you know having to make friends all the time so that was like an easy way to identify you know a crowd that i identified with yeah. So kind of searching to fit in a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I mean, really, I just liked it. You know, like, I really don't remember feeling like depressed or unhappy as a kid. Except for being the new kid, that was, that wasn't always fun. But um, really, I just liked it a lot. You know, give me, give me something to do with kids my age. What kind of challenges did you face being the new kid all the time? Well, just having to... Yeah, just trying to make new friends all the time in a new place. You know, that was, was tricky. It was sports were good when I was younger. It was easier to, you know, make friends through sports. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I guess I've gotten better at it in time. You know, I'm not nearly as uh, awkward around new people as I once was. Why is it that you think you're awkward around people? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think just kids are, man. I don't know that I was especially awkward, but uh, just being the new kid a lot was difficult. Yeah. 
Yeah, our perception of what people think about us is completely different from what they actually think about us usually. Yeah, yeah, right. So, did you have, I mean, as far as friends and stuff, when you did get to new towns, I mean, you said you were easily, well, not easy, but you made them through sports and stuff, right? Yeah. Did you bond but, with any over anything else, like drugs or alcohol? Yeah, drugs, smoking pot and later drinking and party drugs and stuff was an easy way to, to fit in with people for sure. So did you graduate high school? Yeah, I graduated. I went to uh, you know traditional high school for ninth and tenth, and then really wasn't going to school, wasn't getting good grades, failing most of my classes, and then I ended up in that alternative school where I only had to go a couple hours a day, and then was able to finish all my credits and um, ended up graduating a little early. You know, uh, yeah, I got it. I graduated high school and. I worked all through high school. I worked at a pizza restaurant from 14 to 18, uh, made a lot of money or not a lot of money, more money than most of my friends, but I really just spent it on pot and other drugs. Always been a hard worker though. You know, it's one thing that I've done well, I think. What, what kind of other drugs did you use? In high school? Yeah, well, I mean, besides pot, what'd you introduce to? I took acid and mushrooms, other, you know, ecstasy, those kinds of things, and drank. Uh, there was a phase I went through where I was doing Ritalin. Um, that maybe lasted like six months or so. You know, Let's talk about one at a time. How did you uh, feel about LSD when you took it? I thought it was pretty cool. The only reason I did it is because the guy that I bought weed off of didn't have any. And so it was dirt cheap and a friend of mine decided to try it. And, you know, it took like an hour and a half of feeling nervous and waiting for it to happen. And then, man, it was like, I just never had felt like that before. I thought it was pretty awesome. A little mind expanding. Drug. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Right. I never had a bad trip or anything. Um, but wasn't something I did a lot, a lot of, you know, I mean, maybe a couple dozen times, not, you know, not way as I would do other drugs later in life. So what are the drugs? You said also shrooms? Yeah, in high school, those kinds of drugs, you know, mushrooms, acid, ecstasy. Yeah. How'd you like ecstasy? It was cool, you know, but it, it didn't grab me the way that smoking weed did and, and later alcohol. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know. It's been quite a while since I've done any of those kind of drugs. Why do you think it was that you're so strongly drawn to um, alcohol and weed? Um, yeah, that's a good question, man. I think with alcohol, it was an easy way to, to socialize with people at parties and stuff at first, you know. Um, I like to party and just go from one thing to the next and didn't have to you know, put much thought into life when you're just drinking all the time. So what'd you do once you graduated high school? Um, I just, I, that's when I started drinking heavily. I mean, I was, a, you know, blackout drinker six nights a week. I worked in restaurants, wouldn't work until, you know, four o'clock to midnight, that kind of thing and start drinking and stay up till four or five in the morning, blacked out, and then sleep all day. And 
go back to work and do it all over again. So there was like between 18 and 24, like I was drunk all the time. I didn't really do much other than go to work and drink. Were you drinking with people or are you drinking alone? No, I was drinking with people like parties and bars once I turned 21. Um, I mean, I would always have alcohol to drink, you know, on me. Like I'd get off of work, hit the liquor store, be drinking it on the way to the party, you know, at in the party at the bar. I always had a bottle with me. Um, but yeah, I know I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a social drinker because that makes it sound like I'm only drinking when I'm, you know, socializing. But I was drinking all the time, but always finding other people to drink with. Didn't spend much time alone at all during those years. So you said it's between the years of 18 to 24. What happened at 24 that changed? I got a girl pregnant, um, who's now my 14-year-old son. Uh, so we were both working in the restaurant. We decided we wanted to move in together. And I was drinking heavily and, you know, not didn't really have much going for me, but I wanted to be better, wanted to provide for this family that was coming. So we're living together and I'm still drinking heavily. And then I go to the bar and I come home late and uh, she uh, she's like eight months pregnant or something. And I go in late at night, I put in a corn dog in the microwave and instead of for two minutes or something, I put it in for 20 minutes or whatever. And I pass out on the couch. And I wake up to the smoke billowing out of the microwave and my eight-month pregnant, soon-to-be wife, freaking out. And that that really scared me. Um, and that was really the first time I'd ever, like, decided that maybe I have a problem. You know, I should change something. Um, so, yeah, that, yeah, I stopped drinking like that. But I didn't stop using any kind of substances. I didn't look into recovery or anything. I just looked to see. I just saw my life and said, I can't sustain this i'm not going to be able to provide in any way or you know be a father if i'm drinking like this so i switched over to pills opiate pills at that point so yeah how are you like socially when you were drinking i'm sorry say it again how were you socially when you were drinking i think i well i would i think i was the life of the party man i was having a great time you know just bouncing around from people to people uh lots of different acquaintances uh but then I would get too drunk and make a fool of myself and you know get kicked out of bars and parties and beat up a couple times um yeah I wasn't like an angry drunk and I wasn't necessarily a, an emotional one either but I was a really unpredictable one you know you didn't know what was going to come out of me and I was a skateboarder at the time and I used to skate late at night drunk and fall and wake up and not really know what happened and lose my skateboard and have a big you know bruise on my head um, so you said at 24 you changed over to pills yeah who introduced you to the pills uh i couldn't remember that i don't know they were just kind of around in my life at that point but um you know, I just, I went deeper into the pills. Once I dropped alcohol, like it was as if I needed, you know, something to replace it. And so I went hard on, on the pills for the next few years. What paint, what kind of pills mostly? Like it was Oxycontin back then when it was pretty abundant, uh, but opiate pills. Yeah. Methadone, Oxycontin, Percocet, kind of stuff. So methadone gets you high? Yeah, sure. Yeah, funny. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, I wasn't taking a lot. I mean, well, there was times when I'd take a lot, but even like there's a time when I was taking like 10 milligrams and I guess sustainable, but if I took 20 or 30 milligrams, then you could get high, you know? So yeah, I did that. Sure. So what kind of pain pills? You said it's mostly Oxycontin? Yeah, yeah, a lot of Oxycontin. They were cheap and available back then and snort them and smoke them, yeah, sell them. You know, there's a time when I was getting them like a bunch, you know, buying off of somebody for cheap, being able to to sell them. And I should have been making money, but instead I was still losing money because I was using so many for myself. How did you use it? Did you, you said you snorted and smoked it? Yeah. And you never shot it? No, no. In all my drug use, I never was a IV user. Um, not to say that I wouldn't have. Maybe at, at some point, I everybody around me was, you know, near the end was uh, needle users. But I saw a couple of people go down way harder. They, you know, they were smoking and snorting the different drugs and they started shooting them and it, they changed for the worse. And so that scared me. I wasn't necessarily scared of needles. I was more scared of how bad I could get. So thankfully, I never tried it because I think if I would have tried it, I would have stuck with it for a long time. You know, it would have been a lot harder to get off. How long were you on the opiates? Um, I mean, at that time, from age 24 to 29, I'd say. And then I, you know, I did heroin from the age of like 32 to 35. What made you switch over to heroin? Well, I'll tell you what happened at 29. Uh, I, well, there's a lot of different things that came up. But at, at 29, I got diagnosed with cancer. I had uh, four surgeries in a short amount of time and I actually was clean and in recovery when that diagnosis happened and through three of those surgeries. And so I was able to, to stay clean through three surgeries and the, and the diagnosis. But then uh, in January of 2015, I had a doctor say that I, the only solution would be to get an amputation cut above my hip and through the pelvis. So I had chondrosarcoma, which is uh, cartilage cancer. So they were going to cut my leg off to save my life, you know, and to cut the cancer away. Um, and that's when I relapsed. I didn't end up having the amputation. I can tell you about that whole thing, but. Um, you said I, you, did, you did have it? I did not. I had an internal amputation with a reconstruction. It's called the internal hemipelvectomy. Uh, so they cut away a very large chunk of my body and replaced it with colobar chrome and different heavy duty plastics. Um, yeah, so what I was saying is that when I was told that I had to get the amputation, that's when I that's when I went hard on heroin. That's when I started doing heroin for the first time. Where'd you find it? Who do you get stuff like that from? Just went downtown. It was at the time, it still is like that, but you know, downtown Salt Lake City, you could just show up and find somebody selling it on the corner. So that was convenient <laughs> made it easier than buying pills for sure you know that was tricky at the time because uh the oxycontin and those other things became less available with the change in the way the doctors were prescribing it and laws and those kinds of things so heroin was an easy or easier fix how long were you on heroin for um on and off two years maybe yeah i had some you know short stints of 
sobriety and clean time, you know, but uh, yeah, about two years, I'd say. And what did you do after you were done using heroin? Was there anything after that or did you get sober? Well, I had a, I had a meth stint. And actually, really, when I was using heroin after that surgery, I was, uh, I was using meth, too. So I used those together. At first, it started with there was a time when I just used meth. And I had some clean time after that. And then I went to heroin and then ended up doing them together. So really, you know, people say, what's your drug of choice? It was meth and heroin together. And you mean crystal meth, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and even like now I got four years clean, uh, when I have like triggers or I feel, and in the past when I have relapse, it's meth is the one that calls to me the most. I end up doing heroin to like settle myself down. Cause you know, I stay up for a few days and start losing touch with reality and I need to sleep. And so, you know, at the time that seems like the, the way to go is through heroin. Um, and then I become addicted to that, you know, so that I've had that cycle happen a couple of times where, uh, I'm called and I feel like, you know, I, or I get triggered and I use meth and then it turns into both where you know it. So what'd you do to get sober? Well, this last time in, May of 2016, I went to a treatment center called First Step House here in Utah. Um, you know, went to detox and went to treatment. I'd been living on the street for the last year or so. I uh, wasn't allowed to see my kids. I had all the, you know, family in my life that had to, you know, give up on me, really. Now, give up on me is the right word, but they had to keep me at a distance. And I was just living a homeless drug addict lifestyle. And, uh, my kid's mom offered me to offered some help to get me into treatment and I went to treatment. How was treatment for you? You know, at first I got there and I was like, well, I'd already done a little recovery. So I kind of had this know-it-all thing going on where I felt like I already <laughs> knew what needed to be done, but really I didn't like, I was more lost than I'd ever been in life. But I first got there and I was like, I'm only staying 30 days and I'm going to still smoke pot if I want. And I'll drink if I want to, you know, and, um, people in the treatment center at first were like, you know, that's not how it works, but you know, whatever it's your life. Um, and I was like set on that, but after about two weeks, I realized like how far my life had, had gone that, you know, how downhill my life had gone. And I realized that, 30 days in treatment wasn't going to be enough so I really just took all the suggestions like that were given to me in treatment and in 12-step meetings and just absorbed it all to the point where like you know I went in there like a, a homeless addict and was rough and I talked and walked differently and, and just had a whole nother side of myself that you don't see today um, but after like a couple months I remember being like applauded as the by other clients in the program as the model client you know and um one of those things you hear it said in in recovery you know people were able to see in me what i couldn't see in myself and uh others were able to see it and that gave me a lot of confidence to say that if they think i'm doing well then maybe i am you know and i and i just continued in what it was i was doing and yeah it worked for me you know worked for me So what'd you do once you got out of rehab? Um, I ended up moving back in with my uh, wife and kids. 
Uh, we had been apart for a couple years at that point, and you know, she wasn't talking to me. She wasn't gonna let me uh, see the kids. And really, I wasn't even trying to be with her, or be with the kids, because of you know, I was just so focused on the drugs that I wanted to use. And I was pretty angry with the world. Like I had gotten cancer and I was having trouble walking and I was in a lot of pain. And I had this feeling like, you know, the, uh, the world had, had done me wrong. And, uh, but then going to treatment, it really, you know, everything changed and getting clean. And so, uh, during that time, my wife and I, at the time we were able to rekindle the relationship and I moved back into the house with them after four months of living and working treatment. So, um, yeah, and then I, you know, I did a lot of service work in the beginning. I was chairing meetings for Cocaine Anonymous. I did some volunteer work. Uh, needle exchange had just become legal in Utah. So there's a couple different organizations I was helping with needle exchange. And that was a big part of my recovery in the beginning was to, uh, you know help others and to stay outside of myself like I was you know nine months clean or something and I was out in the streets of where I was just been homeless and using and now I was like on this other side of the table handing out clean syringes and that gave me a lot of purpose and I felt you know I don't know a real calling to to help others that were dealing with the same situations that I had so how's life been treating you nowadays it's good. So the, I mean, it's great. I, you know, the cert, the volunteering that I had done turned into a job. You know, somebody asked me one day, like, Hey, do you ever think about working in treatment? And at that point I hadn't. And so I had this problem with my leg with the cancer and I was unable to work for a long time, but I had worked in jobs I didn't like. And so uh, thankfully I got onto disability because uh, of <clears throat> I still have trouble walking sometimes and deal with a certain amount of pain, but I found a good balance. Um, but so I was on disability, so I didn't have to worry. I mean, I, you know, it gives me a little bit of income, but I can still work part time and 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 take in the disability. So I found a job uh, working part time in a treatment center, and that was five years ago, and I'm still there now. So I work in uh, residential. Uh, treatment center. I kind of do a lot of my things, sort of sports and activities. We go to the mountains. I coach the softball, sober softball team last year. Um, yeah. So I've worked there five years, but I only got five, four years clean right now. I actually had a relapse while I was working there. Um, it was only two weeks, thankfully, but I stopped calling, stopped going to work, just disappeared. And, you know, thankfully it was only two weeks. I got back on track. I was able to get the relationships back on track in my life. Um, and then about nine months later, I was rehired and uh, been there since. So that's, that was a little over four years ago. It's great, man. It sounds like you've had quite the journey. Yeah, it's been a lot of ups and downs. But man, my life now is great. Like I, so yeah, I do, um, I do at least two NA meetings, Narcotics Anonymous meetings a week Wednesday and Friday night um this season we just had the last sober bowling but there's a sober bowling league right up the street from my house last week was the last week so I've been involved in that and then there's sober softball coming up which I'm involved in that and then I live with my 14 my 14 year old son lives with me and then I have a 12 year old daughter that I see I take her to school most mornings and then I um see her on Friday and Sunday 
like those relationships are really good and really important to me. I got a girlfriend in recovery. She's got two years clean and we go to NA meetings and different activities together. Uh, I just helped a friend of mine that was trying to get clean. And, you know, there's a lot of complicated moving parts to that, but uh, I was able to help him through all that. And he's now two weeks clean himself and doing really well. And um, just in a place where I can help people and, and, enjoying my life no things are really good right now it's great man i'm happy for you yeah thank you recovery could be a great thing yeah yeah so i got one last question for you all right do you have any advice for people watching and listening um <clears throat> find a community really i mean that's that's what's been most helpful for me i think i said i got four years clean now but at three years clean I went through uh separation with the my kids mom depressed and uh isolated and I came close to to relapsing again and instead I ended up going to a meeting and uh just doing the next right thing as they say and what's the difference the difference between what my life was like then and was now is that I have a community of people that I can that I can call on or just be a part of. So being a part of a community that's healthy and um, clean and, you know, trying to better themselves is is really the best advice I can give is, is find a group that you identify with and, and lean into that. All right, my friend. I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast and doing this today. How do you feel? You feel good? Yeah, man. I feel good. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure so do me All a favor right. hang tight and sure. for everybody watching listening if you like what you saw and heard go below and give us a like also subscribe to see when we upload new videos you can check us out on all social media we're on twitter facebook reddit tiktok and instagram you name any other platforms we're most likely on it i also suggest checking out our website which is www.addicts-anonymous.com there you'll find plenty uh you'll find plenty of free resources as well as free literature and also, Addicts Anonymous has a book coming out, hopefully by the end of the month, if not early next month. It's called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. So I'll keep you posted as far as the release date on that. So that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time.